Guess who's back? Back again. Jess is back. Tell a friend. I'm by myself today. I don't have my abs. I don't have my home girl. How am I going to do this by myself? But I'll pull through. I'll pull through. No, she's going to be putting her part on the end of my part. So be very interesting to see what Miss Ebony does today. As for me, I'm doing the gruesome, onesome movie, funsome. I don't even know what the fuck to call it. <laughs> but we've decided to do just weird and wacky things today. So with that being said, my movie of choice is Tideland. Um, directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, the novel is written by Mitch Cullen uh, and it's part of uh, three three novels uh, called the Texas Trilogy, um, which are all based in the same location. Uh, the first one is Wampy Jord. The second one is Branches, which I love. And the third one is Tideland. Um, so I watched Tideland... God, it came out in 2006. I think I watched it in 2008 and I watched it on YouTube and then the very, very next day, I was, I think, 14 years old. And then the very, very next day, I was like, oh my God, I have to go out and get this movie. And I went down to JB Hi-Fi and they had one copy there and I grabbed it. And since that day, I have never been able to find any other copies of um of Tideland anyway, you can buy them online, but I, I can't seem to find any copies. Um, it was a film that was distributed pretty much by Terry himself. He didn't have a big budget for it. He did all of like the advertising. Um, it was kind of like his own little independent film and it was a risk. It was a risk to take. I totally understand why some people don't like this film that's that's totally fine it's got a lot of triggers for certain people but if you like horror movies and if you like those type of you know house of a thousand corpses or the texas chainsaw massacre it just has that element of of ick and i fucking love that element of ick um so yeah, I got it on DVD and it was just obsessed. And then my mum bought me the book and the book is so different in certain ways to the film. It's a lot more, um, you find a lot more about her life in LA before she moves to uh, the farmhouse in, in Texas. Um, we find a lot more about her mother, her father, we just find out a lot more interesting things about this this poor poor girl that is um the main character in our storyline. So it stars in the movie Joe Del Furland who plays Jeliza Rose, uh, Jeff Bridges who plays her father Noah, Jennifer Tilly who plays Queen Gunhilda. So she doesn't have a name but she's referred to as Queen Gunhilda and there's a reason for that and I think it's a really smart way of writing especially you know for a novel um and then we've got brendan fletcher who plays dickens and we've got janet mcteer that plays dell um she also has these little barbie heads uh that she puts on her fingers that are kind of like her split personality because uh, she does go through a lot of traumatic stuff so i think it just helps her voice how she's feeling um, so she's not feeling scared and by herself all the time. So her Barbie doll's heads are called Mystique, Glitter Girl, 
Satin Lips and Baby Blonde. In the book, they're called Classique, Cut and Style, uh, Fashion Jeans, and Magic Curl. Um, so they're kind of like all their different personalities and they speak in different accents. And anyway, let's get into it. So her father is a old washed up rock star who lives in LA with her mother called Queen Gunhilda. Um, they are both heroin junkies. Her mum's on methadone, trying to get off the method, uh, trying to get off the heroin, sorry. Um, and she seems like she's just an old groupie that fell in love with Noah when she was young, was promised a whole lot of stuff and has just become this washed up woman living in LA, uh, where they live. There's people constantly trying to come to their house to get drug money, tick money, just, just all the fucked up things that can happen in LA is happening pretty much to, to this family, but they're not very good people, but they've got a daughter and her name is Jeliza Rose. And, um, she prepares their heroin needles for them. She's lived like this her whole life. So this isn't anything different to, to how she goes about her everyday life. Um, they live in this really, really rundown apartment. Um, yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad because this happens every day. This is a real life thing and we're not even into the horror of what happens in this story yet and it's already so horrific, this poor girl. Um, so she's so used to her dad just going on these, as he calls them, vacations, um, but it's just him, you know, strung out on fucking heroin. Um, so he says, look, fuck this. I'm moving to Jutland, which is this place that he's put in his head, which is going to be marvellous and wonderful and and he can go there without a phone and he's going to take Jeliza Rose and Queen Gunhilda's like, yeah, fuck off, take her, I don't care what you do and uh, then orders Jeliza Rose to come upstairs and give her a massage after she's finished preparing Noah's heroin needle. So Jeliza goes upstairs to her mother who's just a fiend for the chocolate bars and is just all about herself and is just saying, oh, you know, your dad blew smoke in your face to keep you quiet as a kid. Don't leave me. Obviously, if Jeliza Rose leaves Queen Gunhilda, there goes all her benefits and payments and she's pretty much got nothing to live for. So that night, Jeliza Rose is asleep and Noah comes into her room on a drug bender and he's reading these books and he's getting all you know, paranoid and fucked up and freaked out and shit. And he's got this obsession with, with these things called bog men, which are people that have been mummified. And he believes, or people believe that they will come back after a certain amount of time, um, which is just fucking bizarre, but pretty fucking cool if that did happen. So straight after that, uh, her mum dies. She has a overdose and she dies in bed. Um, and then Noah and Jeliza Rose come into the room. They get all her favourite stuff. They throw it on the bed. They get shoes. They get the chocolate bars. But at the same time, Jeliza doesn't really understand what's going on. She doesn't really get that her mum's passed away. I think that she's so used to seeing bodies just lifeless off drugs just sitting there and she does say at one point she's dead all right but after she says that she thinks oh now we can steal her chocolate bars like she just doesn't really have that 
that insight of life and death. I don't think she really understands what it is. So they throw all her favorite stuff on the bed with her lifeless body just lying there. And then Noah goes to burn the body and Jeliza goes, no, don't burn it because then we'll light up the whole building and then we'll probably kill other people in the building. So they pack their stuff and Noah goes, we're going to Jutland. We're going to start our new life. It's going to be beautiful. Um, So they pack their things and they get on a bus that goes all the way into Texas. But where they're going is to... Noah's mum's house so when he was it has this in the novel it doesn't have this in the movie when he was on top um of you know the music game and he was like the biggest rock star ever he bought his mum this farmhouse so that down the track when she wanted to leave or whatnot she could sell it and she's got money and she's gonna be all right but it was also another thing for him because he just became such a drug addict and obviously just did not want to admit it to his mum um, you know, he bought her something that was so outrageous and so big, it kind of shut her up and he didn't have to deal with her and he could just live his life and not, not even speak to her because she's always going to be in debt with him no matter what. So he goes, you know, we're going to go see mum. At least he can get away from the people that are trying to like the, the debt collectors and everything. Um, and we'll be safe there. So as they're going, um, there's a few weird scenes on the bus um, and this is where it breaks a lot of people. There's like a whole farting montage and it, it's a bit weird, but it's it's funny. Like in the book, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it is a bit weird, but in the book it just gives this like comedic element to it. And that's the thing, like this movie is pretty down in the dumps, um, like depression-wise, but it does have its little funny moments here and there with it, which just kind of uplifts it a bit, which it, it does need. If it just stayed on the same pace, oh, my God, more people would hate this film than there already is. Um, so when they're on the bus, um, we see a glimpse of the author, Mitch Cullen, and he has a line. I think he just says, oh, Jesus. Um, but he's in the movie for like a split second and when they get to their destination, um, they're dropped off by a guy called Patrick who's got a stutter. I don't know if they say his name in the movie, but he's in the book. Um, and he, he his role in the book, he, he has a like a whole chapter. Um, he's just this weird farm boy who works at the local grocery shop. And they go and get a whole lot of groceries before they go to where they, they need to go. But Patrick says, oh, you know, that place is such a, a long way out. Um, I make deliveries down there at least, I think it's once a week or once every two weeks, but I'll, I'll drop you down there. So Patrick drops them down there and we uh, think that is the last time we see Patrick, but it's not. So they get there and on the letterbox it says M. Cullen, which is, you know, Mitch Cullen. I think that's really sweet. And when they go into the farmhouse, it's a wreck and there's no sign of Jeliza Rose's grandma, Noah's mum. There's no sign of her. Their house has been trashed, um, graffitied with the words like shithole all over it. Literally, there's no running water. There's no electricity. There's fucking nothing. So Noah's talking about 
um, oh, you know, this place just needs a bit of a clean up. Um, there's a young boy that lives down the, um, I wouldn't really say street because it's just fucking desert plain everywhere. There's a young boy that lives in a house down from us. Uh, he'd be a grown man by now. He used to come and do the lawns. He, he, if he still lives there, he can come and help and, and da, da, da. So we get wind that there is other people around, but from where they are, it's, it's a bit of a walk to get to theirs. So, um, Noah pretty much just realizes he's fucked at this point and he's like, okay, well, I've got nothing. I've got no money. The only thing he's got is literally a little bit of groceries that will not last long, um, and drugs and, and that's it. So Jeliza Rose goes and has a look around the house for a bit and she goes up to her room, which is just this filthy mattress. Um, the bathtub is just like full of black gross water just everything's fucked everything's just really really morbid and and you can you can probably smell from the tv screen what it would smell like in there it's just disgusting so noah goes on his little vacation again and gets jeliza to make his little heroin needles for him and he passes out with the radio so she goes to have an explore and have a look around and she sees this upside down school bus and she goes into it and there's all these little fireflies in there and she starts naming them. And then as she's in the school bus, this train just comes roaring through. And so it's like, okay, there's civilization near, but it's a train that literally is not going to stop and it's just going to go straight through. So that's not really hope. So after that, um, she sees this woman called, at the, at the time she doesn't know the woman's name, she thinks she's a ghost, and this woman is all in black with this big black bee mask and singing her Jesus hymns, and Jeliza thinks she's a ghost, and then she goes, oh my God, it's, it's Queen Gunhilda. And Queen Gunhilda in real, real history was a woman from way back in the day. Uh, she was married uh, to a man named Eric and Eric passed away and she was promised that if she went back to Denmark that King Harold would marry her. But when she got to Denmark, the king ordered for her to be drowned and for her body to be like mummified, like a bog man, um, thinking, oh, it will come back. So when we look at Jennifer Tilly's character. Her name is Queen Gunhilda. So it kind of gives me that feeling of, you know, Noah promised her all these things when he was famous and rich and, and literally just got her on heroin and she just died in bed like a little bog man. And <laughs> they just left her there, you know? So is her body going to be mummified? Is she going to rot? Like it just gives me that same vibe. And, and that's just, oh, I fucking love it though. <laughs> I really do. So back to Dal. Dal's singing her Jesus hymns and Jeliza goes, oh, well, we've got to make an offering to her because then she'll accept our offering and she'll be our friend and she won't cause any evil to us pretty much. So she goes back home and she goes, the next day I'm going to go out and I'm going to give her, um, offer this radio for her. So she gets her dad's radio and 
puts all these rocks around it the next day and then Del rocks up and she's pretty aggressive. She's not the nicest of, um, of, of ladies that I've met. And, um, she's, she's not really a, a fan of children. I've come to the conclusion she's rough. She's quite horrible. Um, when Jeliza calls her a ghost, she says, what an awful thing to say. Um, and then goes into this story of what happened to her face and why she wears this this huge bee uh, hat. And it's because when her mum and dad were alive, who they lived on this farmhouse as well, her mum used to make apple pies and her dad had this um, bee business, I guess, and he used to breed bees. And they killed their mother. They came inside all the bee swarm and they, they killed her. And Del thinks that was because, you know, she was jealous of the bees and how much attention the bees gave the father and real fucked up shit. <laughs> anyway, so, um, after the mum dies, they never had apple pie again. And then Del went outside and put a petrol on all the bees and killed all the hives off and, one of them stung her in the eye and blinded her, and that was the bee's revenge. I've no idea where the dad went. I don't even know if that's explained in the book. I'll have to read it again. But it pretty much just says that Del's the only one that's living in the house now, um, and her mother's passed away, and I have no idea where the dad is, so she's like an only child. Um, so her Jesus hymns and... Like, she's extremely Jesus-y, like, to the absolute point. Like, fucking Jimmy Swaggart, bloody Hillsong, she's fucking right up there. She fucking loves it all. So she um, walks away from Jeliza Rose, and uh, at this point, Jeliza thinks she's made a friend. Oh, poor love. And she says, oh, I'll be here tomorrow around noon, and we'll catch up, and... So the next day she goes out and she's got her little Barbie doll's heads and Del said don't bring any of them because they're trouble. So she hypnotises her Barbie doll's heads and then goes to have a picnic with Del and Del never rocks up and then she walks and she finds Del's house. And as she approaches Del's house, we hear a male voice. And the male that's in the house is Del's brother Dickens who has a lobotomy scar He's a bit slow. He's, I think he's like 28, 29. And he might even be 22. He might actually be younger. But he has the mentality of like a 12-year-old boy. And we find out some history about him uh, a bit down the track. It's, yeah, it's... I've always felt so sorry for Dickens' character because I feel like a lot of people who watched this movie once, he's very, very um, one-sided, but th there's so much to him and it's, it's he's got the saddest story in this movie and the novel more than Jeliza Rose does, so that's really saying something. So when we get a glimpse into Dell's house, it's extremely Norman Bates. There's mason jars everywhere full of animals. There's this little taxidermy house that's next to their house. It's just a shed that's just got all these animals in there. Um, so I think it's the next day, uh, Jeliza Rose wakes up and Noah's just 
on the couch still, like on his vacation. She has no idea that he's passed away. Um, he, she's so, she's so used to it. She's so used to seeing him sit there for like days on end. So she still thinks he's alive. She's talking to him. She's, she's trying to feed him peanut butter in one scene. Um, and obviously that's not happening, but as time goes on, he just starts to decay. Uh, his tongue comes out of his mouth and his tongue's like purple. Um, he, he, he doesn't look great. She puts a wig on him at one point and like does up his makeup and everything. Like that's how not there she is with knowing that he's, he's passed because, you know, this is her normal life. She's, she's been raised like this. Um, so the next day she wakes up and there's someone in the house and she's like, what the fuck? And it's, it's Dickens. And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm leaving. And he runs away and I think he's wearing like a scuba diving outfit and she goes running after him and she's like, Oh Dickens, I know it's you. And he's like, how do you know my name? Well, obviously she heard it, you know, when she was eavesdropping and looking into their house. Um, but they don't know that. And she goes, Oh, you know, Dell's my best friend. And Dickens is like, well, Dell's my sister. And, um, at this point you're like, finally, she has someone to play with, even though this person is like, you know, mentally not there and we have no idea who he is. And it's probably not the best thing for her to be hanging out with this guy, but you know, we've had like no other human interaction with this character for such a long time that it's nice to have. And so he starts talking about, um, things he's not allowed to do, things he can do. Um, he's not allowed to go near the bus. And then we find out why he's not allowed to go near the upside down bus. And it turns out that he, as a child, got in the bus and, and drove it. I don't know if it killed anybody. Um, but that was the whole reason that he had to have the lobotomy. I reckon that Dickens had a form of ADHD and I reckon that Dickens was a normal child, but with the passing of Dell's parents, I feel like Dell became very, very much in charge and very, very much in power of what he can do and what he can't do. So he said he got lobotomies, um, to stop having seizures. But as we find out later in the film, he still has seizures. Um, but he, he just, he has such a, a nice heart and obviously he doesn't want to hurt anyone, but he's, he's got this really, really weird mind about how the world is run and how things are. And that's not from him. That's purely from Dell, I believe. So I, yeah, I reckon he got a lobotomy for him to kind of stay put and shut up and just be there practically. So he goes, oh, we've got to go, we've got to go find Lisa. And at this point we're like, oh my God, finally, there's another character in it. Her name is Lisa. She's going to come and save the day and, you know, roll credits and happy days. And then it turns out Lisa is this fucking submarine that he's made from scraps, like literal scraps. Um, it's not even a fucking submarine. It's literally like a tent of shit. And he says, oh, I, I use all these things like bike tires and pennies and, and just random clutter. And I'm going to kill the monster shark. He goes, I'm, I'm going to finally defeat the monster shark. And 
to the audience, it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? But then we find out the thing that he calls the monster shark is the train that goes through uh, what rocks. So what rocks is what the place is called in the book. Um, it doesn't really have a name in the movie. I wouldn't call it Jutland. So, yeah, he um, he says, oh, the train is a shark and I'm going to defeat it one day, for, you know, for all time's sake. And so they go put these pennies on the train track and there's other pennies that he has put on there and they've just bent. So obviously he's trying to get the, the train off the tracks and, you know, save the day, be the big saviour. And then Dickens ends up going home, I think. And Jeliza is so happy and she's got a friend and she's telling her, her doll heads what's going on. Um, but at this point, I think she's lost Mystique, who's like her main doll's head. She dropped her down a rabbit hole. So it's very like Alice in Wonderland losing her mind, which Mystique is literally the the top doll's head so you know that would be her main her main personality especially when she gets scared and whatnot and now she doesn't have that person so she's replaced her with glitter gal and glitter Gal's not the the prettiest of the barbie head dolls she's her face is all deformed and she's all cut up and um she can't speak properly um but she becomes the new the new head of the dolls in Jeliza of rose's world so Jeliza. Um, goes off down to Dell and Dickens' house and Patrick, the grocery boy, comes to drop off some deliveries to Dell. And how does Dell pay him? With her vagina. And this is the this is the scene that I was like, okay, this is this is pretty fucked. Like this is this is gross. But at the same time I remembered that it's a movie about children's imaginations. Children don't know what the fuck is going on like even in this scene um Jeliza Rose is calling um the male the organs uh, I think it's like a pinot a pinot <laughs> um and so she she witnesses her like first sexual act ever and runs away and Del hears somebody in the in the taxidermy shed and so she stops having sex with Patrick um and then it goes on to Jeliza Rose. She's asleep and she's waking up and Noah's still fucking just chilling dead on the couch. But she, she wakes up and Del and Dickens are in her in her house and um, they have pretty much taxidermied Noah. So we, we know that Del has a knack for taxiderming animals. But now Jeliza Rose's father is ripped up on the floor um he, he doesn't look the greatest of colors but <laughs> he'll get there Dell's here to fix him so they taxidermy him and when they're almost done they say we need like a gift that you can put in his stomach and when we sew him up it will you know bring him back to life and so Jeliza starts getting this idea in her head of, oh my gosh, what if this happened to my mum? What if this happened to Queen Gunhilda? What if the gifts that we gave her before we left, you know, brought her back to life is the same thing I'm about to do with my father here because, you know, an adult has turned around to me and said that 
this will bring him back to life. So that's exactly what's going to happen. She doesn't know any better. You know, she's been ruled by adults her whole entire life and been taught all the wrong things. So she thinks, oh, Ace, awesome. Like, you know, I'm going to have him back. But there's a weird scene that happens with like a Barbie doll and Queen Gunhilda's like lifeless body and her head, you know, opens up. Well, it's Mystique's head actually. Mystique's head opens up and this brain comes through. And it's like a weird dream sequence, but it's not. And that's just the representation of Queen Gunhilda getting another life and, and you know, would she do anything different with the new life that she had? Would she treat Jeliza any differently with the new life she had? Um, when, in all honesty, she's still just dead on a bed in LA, which is fucked up. Um, but so she gives uh, <laughs> her taxidermy dad's body her other two Barbie head dolls. And it's kind of like, you know, saying goodbye to your other personalities. Um, you don't have to be scared anymore. You don't have to worry anymore. You can be strong. You've got these two people around you now. You're not by yourself. Um, you'll be able to eat now. Um, you'll have someone to fend for you. So she gets rid of her other personalities and she's now just got Glitter Girl. And the next day they clean up the house. They paint all the walls. Um, there's like this Jesus hymns montage that happens with it. And it's the first time in the movie where you feel happiness and go, well, her luck's turning around. Um, she'll be able to have a family now. And it, I know it's a fucked up family, but at least it's better than kind of what she had before. And there's laughter and even Dell is just like real, just chilled out and fun. And you look at Dell like, oh, you know, she's done something wonderful uh, for Jeliza and they all have, uh, I think it's lunch together and they have rabbit, the rabbits that Dells has caught. Um, they have like tarts and everything. It's like, it's like the Mad Hatter's table at Alice in Wonderland. And at the very, very end of the table, we have a taxidermied Noah. Um, and Del goes up and she's hugging him and she puts the napkin around him like as if this motherfucker's going to be able to eat. Come on. But she treats him like he's alive. And that just brings you back to the whole Bogman, Queen Gunhilda, Jutland shit that he was, you know, raving about in the beginning. And so they leave for the night and they leave Jeliza Rose by herself with Noah. And now at this point, Noah's been transported upstairs to a bedroom and he's lying on the bed. We interrupt this podcast for a quick promo break. But don't stress, we'll be back soon. Guys, come on, it's getting late now. We have to do this trailer for our podcast. I mean, I know we're the Wait What trio and this is the Wait What podcast. But how, how do we talk about the many episodes that we've done? I don't know. It's just stuff. Tournaments, you know, chocolate, games. I've lost count. Oh, we love tournaments. But I don't know what, what, what else. What, what else can we talk about? Not to mention Idiots' Guides. I mean, we've done plenty of those. Us three being idiots ourselves, you know, we could do so much more. Yeah, and then there's every single music episode that we've done, saying what the best song was by every artist and band. I mean, and then preferred for every single episode, there's always a Simpsons reference or some kind of movie reference that we have, something that makes us all laugh. And then we just talk over each other. I was I just mean, about to say that. <laughs> don't interrupt. What? So, basically, so basically what it is, is you want to tell people that we cover everything. They're safe for everyone. 
and we're available everywhere pretty much yeah we're available on all podcast platforms and yeah huh. all right we'll, we'll sort it out next week this time Dana DeVito becomes pregnant who knew <laughs> 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 doesn't yeah, mouth the words at all. He's he's just mouthing like opening his mouth up and down like a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get this show started. Hello everyone, you are listening to snippets of Critically Optimistic. If you like what you hear, come join us as we create fun and exciting double features that pair two films together with interesting themes. We even offer up some shorter shows where we talk about new films to just hit theaters and various topics within the filming community. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts and we release on a bi-weekly schedule every other Tuesday. We love to include our audience by answering questions on the show or reading feedback. So get listening and be part of the Critically Optimistic Friends. See you then. See, that wasn't too long. Now back to the episode. But just before they leave, Dell says she knows that Geliza was, you know, peeping on her in the little taxidermy shed with uh, Patrick. And she just goes back to her wicked ways, back to this aggressive person that she was. So that happy person that we just saw has now just been completely wiped out. So the next day Dickens comes over and they're playing with lipstick and they're playing with makeup and they kiss. And this is where a lot of people just lose interest. They just turn it off straight away because it's, you know, yeah, it's fucked up. I totally understand what's going on, but in the concept of his mind is literally the same as her mind. They live out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. They haven't had people raise them properly, both of them. They both have just come from really awkward and weird families. Uh, And they don't know any better. They've never seen the outside world really before. Same as Jeliza Rose, she wouldn't have seen too much. I think the only places that she went to were like, you know, the local thrift shop. Um, in some of the deleted scenes, you can see her going out and, you know, she buys the Barbie dead, the Barbie, the little, the Barbie doll heads. There we fucking go. Why was that so hard? Anyway, so, um, yeah, they kiss and in her mind, she goes, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Like, that's it. This is how babies are made. Um, I'm pregnant. Um, I'm gonna, it's gonna be a girl. Um, I've got to go tell Dickens. And so she plans to wear her mum's white dress. It was like the one thing that she took to um, the farmhouse with her was this white dress and her Barbie doll heads. And she wears the white dress and she thinks, okay, I'm going to get married now. You know how when you're a kid and you're like in kindergarten and (laughs) you get married, but it's like obviously not real. But this is what it felt like. It felt like that whole child thinking they're getting married but like she's so legit about it as well and she has a whole plan and so she goes over to Dell's house that night but uh, Dickens is the only person there and she 
she's not allowed in the house, but Dickens is like, I've got a secret and I want to show you what the secret is, but you have to come into the house, but Del's not here, but she'll be back soon. So they sneak into the house together and they go up to Dickens' bedroom and as they're walking up the stairs, the house resembles so much Norman Bates. Like, it's it's uncanny, it's crazy. And they go into Dickens' room, which is... Even even his bedroom is just such a sad little room. Um, he doesn't really have a bed. It's kind of like this just like wooden table. And he shows Geliza Rose that he has acquired like all these sticks of dynamite. And he's going to set them off at one point. But when he does, it will be the end of the world. And that's what he believes. And... Um, so she says, oh, I won't tell anyone your secret. And then she tells him like, oh, I'm pregnant. And they kiss again. And that seems worse than the first bit. Um, but it's, it's always little pecks. It's not like making out or anything like that. There's just a few gestures here and there that are just a bit off-putting. Um, but then Dickens goes into Dell's bedroom and... Um, when they, uh, I'm just speaking slower because the ending of this movie has always fucked me up and just made me so, so upset because of just the circumstances. But it's one of those, for me, this is like such a twist ending and I did not see this coming the first time I watched it. But as soon as Jeliza Rose goes into Del's bedroom, there's a fucking dead body on her bed and she's taxidermied her fucking mum. Her mum has been taxidermied in there for fucking, oh my God, God knows how many years. But Del believes that her mum will eventually come back from the dead. And this body is way worse looking than Jeff Bridges' body. Like, it, it's fucking black. <laughs> it's just like a, a dried prune. And when Geliza Rose turns to the mantle, there are all these photos of Del and Noah. And this is from when Noah was a child, when Noah grew up just after he like bought the house for his mum, he pretty much fucked off and was like, yeah, sweet. I don't have to speak to her ever again. But it turns out that Del and Noah had this relationship and Obviously, when he left um, Watt Rocks, in the farmhouse, he's, you know, gotten into this life of rock and roll and sin and pretty much everything that Dell is against. And that's why when he comes back, when she taxidermies his body, she's, oh, I'm never letting you go again. And even, you know, putting the napkin on him at dinner and, and even having a full plate of food for him. It just showed she was obsessed with him. She loved him. She looks at Geliza Rose as the devil spawn that came from LA, uh, the thing that should have never happened because Noah should have been with her for all of her life and, you know, he left her. Um, so you just see that she's fucking obsessed and that both of them have been obsessed with this whole bog man mummifying thing for years, not just Del, even Noah. So... Jeliza is like, oh, my God, they were, like, lovers and um, Del was so pretty back in the day and she had two good eyes and um, 
she ex- is explaining to Dickens, like, they're exactly how we are. Like, you know, we love each other and they used to love each other. And then they go in for the kiss. And as they're going in for the kiss, fucking Del rocks up and she loses her fucking shit. And she, like, smacks Dickens at one point and he starts to have a seizure. And then she grabs... She grabs Mystique. She had Mystique the whole time. She went down that little rabbit hole, grabbed Mystique, and put it on her dresser away from Geliza Rose. And when Geliza finds out, oh, my God, she has, you know, my my toy, my my one toy that I care about, she just is in such a panic and just doesn't know what to do. And Del crushes the Barbie doll's head and then... Geliza Rose slaps her and then she slaps her back and they have this huge fight and then Geliza Rose flips off the bed and accidentally puts her foot through the dead mum's head and at that point that just shocks Del to the point where she's she becomes childlike almost and she gets up on the bed and starts hugging the dead corpse of her mum while Dickens is still on the floor having a seizure um, but she says to Geliza as they're fighting, you'll never eat again. You'll never, no more food for you. And it's really, really harrowing. And it's, it's horrible because we're like, wow, great. Now we're back at the beginning with this little girl and she's got nothing again, even worse. You know, she's got this bloody taxidermy dad who's just chilling in the house, just doing nothing, who... Geliza believes still, oh, yeah, he'll come back to life. Yeah, we'll be fine and then we'll all be happy. So Geliza runs out of the house and she takes she takes her little bee hat with her. She's like, I got your hat. So she, like, throws her hat away and she goes back to her house and she runs upstairs and it's nighttime and she jumps onto the taxidermy father of hers and he's crying and she says this line, that's when I wake maybe I'll wake up in your dream and it's so sad and um so the very I wouldn't call it the next day I'd still call it that night um this huge explosion happens and it pretty much busts the windows of her house and she wakes up and she's still in her white dress and she looks out the window and then she goes downstairs and there's like a fire on the other side of the hill so she goes over the hill and uh, to investigate what is this fire and what was that bang. And the train has blown up. So Dickens, uh, after, you know, his seizure, we, we've probably thought, you know, oh, as an audience, he's dead and he's not coming back. But he, he wasn't dead. He was fine. And then he's obviously gone out with his dynamite and blown up the train. Which, thank fuck, because now we've got people around Geliza Rose. But there's a lot of people that have died in this um, accident. So Geliza's going through the rubble and walking past all these people that are injured uh, from the train crash. And then we hear Del, and she's in her dressing gown, and she's yelling, Dickens, Dickens! And um, Geliza thinks she finds Dickens at one point and it's just this man who's who's bald but he's you know obviously really really hurt from the crash and um 
cordializes like, oh, my savior is here, my love, and then realizes it's not him. But after she hears Del, she like says some, some Jesus-y words like, that will teach you something, something, something. And you slowly see, shit, she's starting to turn into Del. She's starting to turn into these people. And this woman finds her and um, gives Jeliza Rose, I think it's like a nectarine or something like that. And he's asking, oh, were you on the train? Like, how did you get here? Where are your parents? And Jeliza's like, I don't know where anyone is. And the woman says, you know, I'll, I'll take good care of you and we'll, we'll find your parents and it will be fine. And then all the fireflies come out and the woman's like, oh, how beautiful are they? And Jeliza's like, they're my friends, you know, they have names. And then we just see like the last shimmer of Jeliza Rose's eyes. And that's the film. Oh my God, I'm literally about to cry. Oh, this movie gets me every time. <laughs> but it's, it's such a, it's such a sad and lonely film that every time I watch it, oh, I think what makes it worse though is the um the soundtrack. The soundtrack is just so so beautiful. It's done by uh, I think it's Jeff Dana or Michael Dana, the Dana brothers. They've done a lot of scores for big movies. Um, I think they did Silent Hill, um, the video game, and I know that one of them did The Life of Pi. But this soundtrack is so so well done. So well done. If you ever get a chance to even watch the movie just listen to the soundtrack afterwards it's so gorgeous um but this movie to me I don't know what it is I don't know if it's just that whole like Texas feeling of it or if it's like the elements of Alice in Wonderland and Psycho and uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all those kind of things that just draw me to it or if it's even the fact that the novel just has so so much more uh, it's a bit grittier than the film, which, you know, if you've seen the film, you probably didn't think it could get any grittier than what it was. But it's just, it's got a flavour to it. It's got a flavour to it. It's hard to describe. Um, I think Terry Gilliam's got massive cojones for even doing this film. Um, he, this is not on my DVD copy of it, but... He has a warning um, regarding what we're about to see uh, on some of the other DVDs at the very beginning. It's just him talking in black and white uh, for like 20 seconds to 30 seconds. And he's just saying, you know, kids are resilient and they, they bounce. And like kids have imaginations. It's something that when we grow up as adults, we lose. And half of the things that she witnesses in this film, she doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. She probably will when she's older, but thank God she got out of the situation. Um, I think the acting by Joe Dell, I think Joe Dell's acting in so much is, is fantastic. She's that ultimate creepy little horror girl, but she's just, she's a joy to watch. And even just having um Jeff, Jeff fucking Bridges in this film. Like, how? Like, fucking, you know, A-list star Jeff Bridges plays a corpse for fucking majority of this film. I wanted to watch this film because I was such a huge Jennifer Tilly fan, obviously from, you know, loving Chucky so much. And when I watched it, you know, she was only in it for such a small amount of time, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, 
But then I just fell in love with all the, the elements of the film. Um, I think the characters are written really well. Like I know a lot of people don't like the, the huge southern accents. They don't like the fact that Dickens is mentally challenged. Um, they think it's a bit over the top. But But this is the thing, like, this is a family that has never really had human interaction. Um, God knows what their parents were like if this is how they are now. This is Del and Dickens. Um, I reckon they would have been fucking crazy. And another reason I say that as well is because uh, Branches, which is the second novel uh, by Mitch Cullen in the Texas trilogy, uh, is about a cop who lives in the same town as as all these people. So there's hardly anyone in the town. Um, they all live, you know, a, a bit rural and far out from each other, but it's the same town. And um, in branches, it, this, this cop is fucking deranged. Like all these people that live here are just, they're not right. They do weird things. And I feel like it just gives more of that like real creepy horror element into you know, going into the unknown, especially for Jeliza Rose. I think she's so used to being moved around and just kind of doing what her parents ask her to. But every night, you know, she's got a bed. She's got somewhere to, to be. Um, she's fed here and there. That was one element of the film that was just starting to get really tragic as well when you see that their peanut butter and their bread's running out and then there's one scene where there's just ants all in the peanut butter and then it's like well shit like what is she gonna eat now is you know she, she can't go hunt she's a child she just doesn't comprehend the fact that if she goes hungry she's gonna die it's you know those little survival things you know if we were in that situation we'd be freaking out but you know he's a child who doesn't understand the situation and you know is going out exploring and putting on makeup and you know putting wigs on her dead dad and doing all these weird things. But she would have had a bloody nasty shock when she uh, got taken away from there. And that's what I wish I could know. Like, I just want to know what happened to her afterwards. Where did she go? Where did she end up? A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you know, she the she's the same girl in Case 39. Uh, you know, that's what happened. A social worker took her and she became the devil. Um, and I think that's such a funny uh, little fan um like prediction to put in there. I think that's hilarious. Um, but last year we were in lockdowns, you know, everyone, the whole world. And I read Branches again and I read Tideland again and I messaged Mitch Cullen uh, just saying thank you. He's not a huge author. He's done a few big things. He's had um, Sir Ian McClellan play Sherlock Holmes in one of his other novels that was turned into a movie called The Slight Trick of the Mind. Um, I think he's really creative. His partner is extremely creative too. His partner is a photographer and um, his illustrations are in the book Branches as well, which I think is so dark. It's such a dark undertone that not a lot of people know about especially in the horror community, if you're just obsessed with that whole Texas icky feeling, this is one uh, author who's just, who, he, he does it very, very well and is just so, so, so underrated for it. So I messaged Mitch and he got back to me, um, which 
was strange because he doesn't use Facebook and whatnot a lot. And he even said it, he avoids it like the plague. Um, but he got back to me down the track and I just, I framed it, I framed it in a, in a photo with Geliza Rose. It's on, um, it's on my little mantle here, but every morning when I wake up, it just, I don't know, it just makes me feel like, gives me that positivity to keep going. And I just said to him, you know, thank you for creating such a strong female character because she is strong and she's had everything thrown at her and she still comes out of it okay and she's going to be okay down the track so you know no matter what anyone's going through in life it, it couldn't get as bad as that it could never get as bad as that but yeah I'm just I love this movie and I know it's not for everyone and that's fine but I think I just see it through a different lens and I just sometimes feel like when I was a child I definitely had that imagination exactly the same imagination as this little girl and I don't have that as much now, which is, is sad, but that's the thing with children. They are resilient and they are, they can, you know, strong and they can bounce back from situations, but thank God she just got saved at the end. Thank fuck for that. But anyway, I could talk about this for like three more hours, but, um, I've got shit to do. And so I'm going to pass this on to my home girl. I have no idea what she's doing today, but uh, she might match similarly what I've done with Tideland. So hope you enjoyed my Tideland review. Um, if you've never seen Tideland and you've just listened to this podcast and you want to watch it, give us a message. I would really, really be interested in seeing what you thought of it everyone's got such a different opinion on it if you enjoyed it if you didn't enjoy it I still want to know as well and tell me why you didn't enjoy it but I just feel like it's one of those movies that just never ever really gets talked about um everyone that I know hasn't ever seen it it's one of those where people go oh what's your favorite film and I'm like I've got three but one of them's Thailand and they're like what the fuck is that and then you're like oh I don't know if you should watch it by yourself or if you should watch it with a friend or watch it at all but a lot of people go into it with an idea of what they think they're going to watch and it's the total opposite. But yeah, so um, here's my girl Ebbs and next time we'll be together. But take it away, baby girl. I love you and I'll see you soon. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Jess. I miss you too. Love you so much. And it's been super weird not seeing you for like three weeks, but you get that. <laughs> Damn COVID. Don't wish it upon anyone. Uh, we are going to do things a little bit different. We're going to do a part two. So you guys will hear from me in the next, uh, well, day, really. So I will see you then. Thank you for listening and hang tight for part two.